0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Play podcast, episode twenty-three. As you can tell, again by my accent or lack thereof, I am Martino Puccio. Alongside me, Matt Santangelo. Pepperisha is unable to be uh, with us this week. Unfortunately, he should be was back. a late scratch. Late scratch, yeah. So they called me in. You know, this is a this is my third go-around now. I didn't expect to be on so often. Uh, early baptism
1: in. by fire. Yeah, but you've done you've done podcasts plenty of times before. Obviously, for those who are familiar with uh, Martino, him and I do a lot of Milan previews, the recaps, and stuff like that for Soccer Showdown. Plus, you know, he's in the he's been in the space for quite a while, so I think he's uh, been able to pick this up quite easily and just kind of carry on the torch when uh, Petra's not al- 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 allowed or able. <laughs>
0: <out>. <laughs> not able, yeah, allowed. It's his and not allowed, yeah.
1: He's in uh, timeout. <laughs> yeah, he's in timeout.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of. Um just want to thank everybody for participating in our giveaway on the state of play pod twitter account congrats to healthy caldara ironically enough caldara made his return to the milan bench uh this past weekend so congratulations to you uh thanks to everyone who really participated um in this it's great to have all the great feedback uh, that we've been getting over recent episodes um and future episodes too i mean um it's been really exciting uh We've gotten a lot of positive feedback, not only on the giveaway, just all the recent episodes that we've had. Obviously, you could follow the Twitter account at State of Play Pod. Um, sub us, review, follow, like, you know, give us more feedback. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah. That'll
1: help us grow this podcast much more, guys. If uh, you know, if you guys can leave some, some good reviews for us, again, subscribe, as Martino mentioned. It'll help us shoot up the charts, and um, yeah, it'll just give us a little bit more momentum, a little bit more of a boost, and give us a little bit more exposure to uh, deliver the content that we love.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's this is like a, this is like an interesting part of the year too for football, in my opinion, because it's coming up on the last international break or so for for a little while, right? Because we got winter coming on over here and. You know, it's it's a really like a grind stretch, you know, like the dog days of August for baseball, if anyone's a baseball fan, it's just a real grind right now where teams are gonna be dropping points or picking up points and you're gonna be looking back on it and you're gonna be like, Wow, like that could be the difference between a European spot or a title or a relegation. Like that's the beauty of it. And I also
1: think mm-hmm. it's this point in time of the season, you know, Obviously, some leagues are a little bit further than others. I know that the Premier League is a couple matches ahead of Serie A, for instance, but this is at this point in time where you start to see who um, are contenders, pretenders who are still kind of feeling things out and trying to assert themselves uh, within a race for Europa League or Champions League spot. So um, this first half of the season, as it kind of winds down and we get into the January transfer window, which I know we'll cover extensively uh, to the best of our abilities, of course, things are always changing. This is that period, as Martino just alluded to, that you know you kind of look back on and you know when you have the international breaks coming up and there's 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 some pretty heavy matches coming in there of course with the champions league and Europa league ties how certain clubs are able to balance and maneuver through this this period and ultimately head into 2020 on a good note so uh, i just wanted to bring that up as well as that this is that good a really good point in time of the season where you can kind of start to see who are, are are the legitimate teams in contention for uh you know top honors and so on and so forth
0: yeah and perfect segue right into it um one of the or two of these teams that we're going to be touching upon right now is Leicester and Chelsea but first we'll start with Leicester I mean man we we've talked about them over the past few weeks and they really have this special vibe about them that you kind of get from the title team that they had obviously we don't assume they're going to win the title or pull off anything crazy like that that's not going to happen again in our lifetimes Uh, most likely but but the fact that they're here still after all these years selling all these top players and Jamie Vardy is honestly at this rate he needs to garner more respect as one of the best forwards in the world you know like there's always these conversations that you have Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, Sergio Aguero, Gabriel Jesus um, all these top forwards in the Premier League and sometimes it feels like Jamie Vardy's left out of this conversation but I mean, he just won't go away, just like Lester is right now, right? I mean, just, like, what do you make of this? Just the unlikely story of Jamie Vardy and and how he continues to be a catalyst for a team like Leicester.
1: Well, since that title-winning season, you know, in which they had several... Uh, breakout stars uh Mares for N'Golo Kanté for instance um Vardy's been a pretty he's been a a, a model of consistency for the most part as a, as a as a producing uh forward player for Leicester City now this year he's on 10 goals Through 11 games, which is very impressive. I believe he was the first one to double digits in the Premier League, if I'm correct. I know Tommy Abraham of Chelsea, which I know we'll talk about shortly, um, has been clipping at his heels. But yeah, I I think Vardy's been a a very solid producer for Leicester City, and I think you know in in an era where um, we're even seeing it with Milan uh, over the past several years and several other clubs, you know, finding a a productive forward who gives you that consistent, you know, 15 to 20 goals or just a consistent uh, consistent output if you will, it's very difficult to come by. And, you know, we could even talk about, you know, someone like Ichire Mobile who um, you know, scored his 100th goal on the weekend for Lazio in, I think, 140-something games. It, this position on the field is so vital. Obviously, it goes without saying, but nowadays it's much tougher to find mm-hmm. the eight guy for this role. And the fact that he's able to consistently produce and help Leicester, again, they're right now in third place. I think they're two points behind City in second um, they're having a really special season. Credit to Brendan Rodgers, of course. He's done a fantastic job with this club. I know there's many people who, if you're not familiar with the Premier League, which is pretty shocking considering it's the most followed league in the world, since he left Liverpool um, and obviously went to Celtic and then he made his, his Premier League return uh, where he is at Leicester right now, they've been pretty solid. And they're building a nice little squad there. We mentioned it uh, in a couple episodes previously about Casper Schmeichel and whether or not he'd leave. Um you got to like what they're able to do. And the fact that you can kind of in some ways maybe compare them a little bit on a, on a larger scale, of course, financially because of the money they make in the Premier League with ad revenues, TV rights, and all that stuff. Um, they're kind of in a way a team like Atalanta, which I know we'll talk about soon, in that they always seem to lose like two, one or two big players every summer, but they're able to c- quickly replace them with someone who is just as good, if not better. And, you know, we're seeing that you know, year in and year out with Leicester. So uh, big ups to them. They're doing uh, fantastic stuff this year in England for sure. And it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to actually. Uh, surpass Manchester City in the table. I know that, again, a couple of points back, it's still early in the season in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, you never know. A team like Leicester doesn't have those extra fixtures in the Champions League and, you know, uh, you know some of those more pressure-intense... Uh, matches on the, on deck whereas you know obviously City do so you never know stranger things have happened we'll have to see how Leicester go the rest of the way but so far so good and Vardy's been uh, a huge part of that
0: yeah one of three teams in the Premier League to allow under 10 goals a season only Sheffield and Liverpool are the two other clubs so they have been stout defensively another surprise team in some sense this year and we've talked about them uh, time and time again, I know you and I have on here, Chelsea defeat Watford. I know Watford, you know, they're awful. <laughs> like, let's just put it out there. It's plain dreadful. But at the same time, you still have to pick up points against clubs like uh, like this. Tammy Abraham, Christian Pulisic, I mean, they just keep it rolling here, especially for Pulisic uh, because last time we were actually discussing Chelsea and on the topic of him, we were getting questions of, oh, when is he going to get his break? When is he going to be able to really solidify themselves within the squad? Should people worry that his time at Chelsea might be up at the, at the end of the year? Or is he going to go on loan? All these, like, dramatic questions. And we were trying to preach a little bit of patience, and now that
1: patience has come to fruition. Uh, past two games, he's got four goals. 100%. And, you know, you know that was something I was actually thinking about as I was watching the game. Not this past weekend, but also the one previously. Um you know when he scored the obviously, they got the hat trick. I think I believe it was against Burnley. Perfect hat trick. Like, okay, Left foot, yeah, right th- foot header. This was yeah, that was a fantastic performance from him, and it was something for him to definitely build on. Which again, he obviously is doing that really quickly. Um, as you mentioned, four goals in two games. Obviously, him, being for him to keep this up, it's unlikely. He's not a potent goal scorer. Mm-hmm. He's a creative winger. He's a creative player, no, and no doubt who can find the back of the net. But it just goes to show you that you know if, I think people kind of jumped the gun. They got a little bit too worried. Worrying about his kind of status within the squad under Frank Lampard, and you're starting to see now, you know, between Tommy Abraham, Pulisic, uh, even Willian's producing pretty well. Uh, the Chelsea are in a good spot right now. They're getting productive uh, production from the players they want, the players they need to in order to finish top four and to you know kind of be in that comfort zone. So all in all, it's been a it's been a pretty solid uh, stretch of games for Chelsea, and I think you know when you, if you, Tommy Abraham is able to continue, you know, scoring at this rate in this clip. Um, they have something special in him, no doubt, and I don't think I, I don't think anyone anticipated, uh, you know, when they weren't able to get an, a big name striker to come in that Abraham would be able to carry the load this much up front this early in the season. But he's done a sensational job and then of course Pulisic um you know speaking from an American standpoint on this it's good to see him producing it's good to see him um on great form getting that opportunity that we alluded to and talked about in the previous episodes it was just a matter of time before he was able to shine through and show uh his manager his coach that he was worthy of more minutes and worthy of an opportunity and when he's given that opportunity he's uh he's coming good so uh big ups to Pulisic and big ups to Chelsea for the victory over the weekend
0: yeah, I mean, look, great job by Frank Lampard. I know we discussed Brendan Rodgers and the great job he's doing. I, I think Frank has done a really impressive job. First time, you know, at a real high-pressure situation because we all know how difficult Chelsea could be. You could argue that it is one of the most difficult jobs in world football, not only world football, in all of sports, considering uh, just the constant circle of coaches that go around there. Um, so anyways... Speaking of coaching situations to kind of wrap up here in the Premier League, we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss these two clubs. Manchester United and Arsenal. Um we're gonna start with United first because this was the earlier game, the earliest game I believe of the Premier League weekend. Um I was watching this and I and I said it off air before I talked to you, I know I, I said it to Pet as well. It was like looking in a mirror watching Milan. Just this gigantic club with a young squad and a coach that's just way over his head and the mental errors and, and the lack of clinical finishing for united in this match were really staggering um the midfield was just awful i mean it was simply dreadful they couldn't get anything going um i think i could count i couldn't count on my hand how many times i saw a midfielder play a ball right into a bournemouth player's feet and it wasn't even like close, or there wasn't even a player in the nearby area that was ready to receive the ball. Um, they failed to, to to finish their chances, and the goal that Bournemouth scored on them was just it's just another worldly goal that just simply cannot happen. Um, and and it, it results in this one nothing loss, and you're sitting yourself and you see the standings, and United's only five points from the relegation zone, and and it's just something that shouldn't be happening there isn't a terrible owner situation in terms of financial hardships um this is simply not hiring the right people it's not bringing in quality players um and this is what happens this is why you're going to be stuck in a situation like this and it's going to be a while until united really dig out of it
1: yeah i think it definitely looks that way and you know um you know, this is a week-to-week basis with with Oli, of course. Um, you know, in his status as as Manchester United manager, uh, it's it's a fascinating thing to kind of keep an eye on because, you know, on one end you're like, well, you know what, let's maybe if we make another switch like we did last year when we brought in Oli in the first place, maybe we can have that sort of positive effect and we can uh, turn this thing around before it gets really ugly and gets in a position where we can't do anything about it, as you just alluded to, uh, you know, a handful of points behind or back of uh, being in the relegation zone. That's alarming for a team, as you just mentioned, that doesn't have financial hardship like a team like Milan, for instance. Um, or and not maybe so much Milan uh, hardship in the sense that, um, but more FFP in the sense issues. that they, you know, Right, right, right. They're not in. A, they're not in a position where they need to sell players. They they can buy. It's just a matter of finding the right the pieces to fit the puzzle. And you know, you mentioned some of the, the more you know, uh, dreadful performers, but I, I looked at Fred. I looked at Ashley Young, and I looked at these players, and I'm wondering. I mean, Ashley Young. I know he's been for all the good he's done for Manchester United, being as a long uh, serving member of the squad. He just can't be relied on to be a, a key contributor in 2019. If Manchester United are to be taken seriously and to actually compete for things, he can't be. And Fred was one of the more expensive buys under Jose Mourinho, uh, probably the last expensive buy under Jose Mourinho. And he's been just a mess. I don't think I've ever seen him play uh, a cons- back-to-back consistent games, or games where you're thinking, maybe he's turning the corner here. He was solid as Shakhtar. I know several buddies of mine who were Shakhtar fans who followed them extensively. And he was a very, very good player. But I think it just goes to show you that the Premier League is at a different level. It's you know, we see it so many different times and times again where you're not just getting a player at one club and it's it's you have the FIFA effect where you're getting an eighty four and you're plugging them into uh, Premier League and you're getting that same eighty four or eighty five overall player and that production that goes along with it. It takes time, you gotta get the right managers, the right system and it's been a culmination of problems and a culmination of things that Manchester United have done wrong over the past handful of years. And you know, you wonder and you have to ask yourself Where is the turnaround going to come? Is it going to be starting in the summer? Because right now I don't see any sort of glimmer of hope that could say Manchester United are going to come out of this hole. I don't think they're going to get relegated. I mean, that would be stunning. That'd be crazy if they actually just as crazy as Leicester, winning almost right, probably, probably. But at the same time, for a team of such that big of a of a brand, uh, big of a history, rich history and tradition. It's kind of stunning and shocking to see them fall this deep, this low. Um, and look, we 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 know how competitive the Premier League can be. I don't think Manchester United fans are ex- we well, expecting them to compete for a title, but I think they want to see you know they want to see that progression. They want to see a project that they can kind of get behind. That they come into the stadium, they come into Old Trafford, they can support and they can get behind these guys. And I think, for better or for worse, fans will support the club but doesn't mean they have to accept it doesn't mean they have to accept some of the board decisions some of the, the the transfers they make some of the uh hires they have for the bench and i think the manchester united and and i know obviously arsenal are two of the biggest clubs currently in a in a bit of a crisis with their with the managerial situation and their managers are under the hot seat but you know, it's something that we got to keep talking about because it's forever evolving. And of course, there are managers at this point in time, as we talked about talked about off the top. This is where you have to start kind of establishing yourself and what your season's going to be like. And the further Arsenal free fall, the further Manchester United free fall. It's going to be tough, difficult to make up towards the tail end of the season when players get tired. You know, maybe get some injuries. You have international breaks uh, included in the mix, and you know things become a little more difficult to navigate.
0: Yeah, and and speaking of Arsenal. Um, to wrap it up here on the Premier League. I thought Unai Emery, the second he blew that lead against Barcelona at PSG, I think I think that was it. I think that's all you really needed to know about a guy who just wasn't capable of not only handling a big club and the pressure there, of someone who's just not a good enough coach to just understand a situation in a sense of urgency. I don't get that with Arsenal and Emery, right? I, You know, and, and oddly enough, I feel bad for Pet and I do feel bad for a lot of Arsenal fans because this was once such a great club, and they won a lot, and, and they really were the forefront of, like, you know, this Premier League revolution that we know and love today. They were one of the, the marquee clubs that helped bring it to what it is. And you can't help but think how mistreated Arsene Wenger was at the end of his spell there. Because, in my opinion, I always thought he was felt uh, was treated a little unfairly simply because I don't think he had sort of the financial backing that he deserved and needed. Um, I, it was well documented at the time. But now, when, when you have Arsenal spending, you know, not to say Nicolas Pepe isn't going to be a fantastic player, but when you're spending almost 80 million pounds on a guy like that, when you have multiple holes throughout the roster... This is what happens with a subpar coach as well. And, and and this has to stop. I don't think he should be allowed, Pat like, today. It should be done today. He should have been cut, sever the ties over the weekend, get someone in here now. It doesn't matter who it was. I, I know I saw a Mourinho link. That would be faci- absolutely fascinating considering the history between him and that club. But, I mean, look... I, there's nothing else left to say. He's a
1: dead man walking, right? It seems that way. I think you know. There's, it's like it's always, it's it's not so much cut and dry just to kind of say, okay, we're just going to axe this manager, be right? Because if he's under contract, you have to pay him. You have to mm-hmm. continuously pay him. He's on the books, right? So, uh, but for a team like Arsenal, I think at some point you kind of bite the bullet. You you take the the, the financial, you know, problem that comes along with having a manager um, unemployed that you're still. Essentially paying to kind of not coach for you, um, uh, you know. It, and you look at too, you look at some of the moves that Arsenal did make in the summer, and you you kind of thought, you know what? Even if Unai Emery isn't the long term manager, you feel that some of the, uh, the acquisitions they had would have been somewhat enough to maybe kind of conceal or mask the deficiencies and limitations that Emery has as a manager. Um, you mentioned obviously Nicolas Pepe, who had a sensational season for Lille. Uh, one of the top players last year, and one of the top in a top five league in, in in France. But even then, you you look at the rest of the pieces around him, and it's just it's not even so much that they're, that players are underperforming. Because I do, do think Nicolas Pepe will come good. I think it takes time for any player to adapt to a league. It's not always an overnight thing. Some players can do it. Some players just need a little bit more time and seasoning. But you know, when you look at their squad, it's better than this. And I think you can look and you can kind of maybe compare them to Manchester United. Uh, in, in a sense that you know there are some holes. You know there are some areas on the, in the squad that need to be addressed. There's no doubting that. But top to bottom, I mean, they have a good goalkeeper. Leno's a fantastic goalkeeper. That attacking three is one of the best, in in, in my opinion, when it's when it's functioning and working in Europe. Right? Lacazette, Obama, Yang, Pepe. That's, those are three really good players that can be sensational. And then even Metsut Oso, well, that whole situation, the way that was handled as well. Granit Shaka. It's a culmination of things. It's a, it's when it rains, it pours. When things are not going good on the on the pitch and the results are not there and coming, then obviously things kind of boil over. Things become much more difficult to deal with, and at some point in time, you know, the Crunky family they have to kind of stop the bleeding because they can't be in a position where they're. Uh, back at the back in the same s- s- position, where you have banners coming up, out at the stadium, um, you have Arsenal fan TV going nuts <laughs> I mean, every week after defeats, and then you have the cries for a sacking and oh. Unai Emery out. It, it, it's it's a really difficult situation to say the least, and you know, like Manchester United, it's going to be one to keep an eye on because I think it's time. I think it's quite clear that he's not the guy. I think they gave him a two-year contract, if I'm correct lap uh, before, before last year started um, and it's quite clear that he's not that he's not the guy to take this project forward and i think it just goes to show you as well that maybe arson wenger wasn't the problem or at least the main problem i think he's wasn't you know innocent by any stretch because i think he did some things that you know maybe you can kind of question but at the same time he didn't really get the fan the financial backing that maybe some of the other big league big uh premier league clubs were getting and i think ultimately that's what what it could come down to so Look, this goes beyond players. Dealing with this sort of turmoil at a club, it goes beyond players sometimes. We see how certain clubs, for instance, where regardless of who is playing, they somehow find a way to get results. I mean, look at Leicester. Leicester lose players, but it's a healthier environment. The fans believe in the project. The fans are together. They back everything the club's doing. They get the players they need to get. They don't break the bank. They know who they are. They know they stick to their guns. They know who they are. And... It just goes to show you nowadays that you know, for all the good that you can do on the market in terms of spending, it may not mean all that much in the grand scheme of things if there isn't a healthy environment for young players to grow, for players to kind of prosper, and to ultimately want to stay and want to believe in the project they're playing for.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's really been a trend at this point where there's so many of these top clubs across Europe that have seemed to have fallen on hard times and. You have these other clubs who don't have all the lore and all the history, but they're stable, they have good ownership, they buy smart, and they believe in their system, like you mentioned with Leicester, and it's really been paying off for them so far. So quickly, we'll get through Ligue 1 here. PS3, uh, we always talk about how it's an automatic W for them to win the league title. Still likely after this. uh, They lose against Dijon, I mean... There's still seven points clear for the, for the title, but it's a little bizarre that they lost, right?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think any you look at it, I think jokingly at this point in time last year, they were probably like 15 points up in the table. I think they actually clinched the league, I think, in March. I think they were the first club or in a top five league to clinch the title um, in, in, I think it was March, if I'm correct. You guys, someone could fact check me on that. But look, PSG are probably still going to win the league. But I think this is just kind of a strange thing to see. Um, and it's kind of happening more frequently around some of these top top leagues, right? I think we're seeing, you know, the way the La Liga table is shaping up and the landscape of the, how that's going, right? It's not so much a, you know, uh, it's going to be, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid winning the title. I mean, you got some of these clubs on a weekly basis, like Levante or Girona, um, like, like winning games over big teams, like, easily and, and, and convincingly. And, I mean, look... Shout out to Gijon for kind of staring a team like PSG straight in the eyes and saying we're not afraid of them. And I think it's it's, for for a team like that. I think many in many ways it could be easy because you have nothing to lose. No one's really expecting you to win the game. No one's expecting you to be able to kind of combat and withstand the pressure of an attacking force that they have. You know, Mauro Mario um you know, Kylian Mbappe, just to name a few players. Obviously, top to bottom, they're stacked, but. Yeah, just kind of weird to see when you know if you're not so uh, focused on Liga Own but you're trying to see like you know how some of the teams fared over the weekend, to see PSG kind of get beat and and look, I think in some some ways this could be a good thing for them, and you know in a sense because you expect them to kind of you know roll through some of these clubs. And I think and some people have argued that that hasn't maybe prepared them in the best way possible to meet their UEFA Champions League objectives. Maybe the fact that they are being humbled occasionally in the league and they are being uh, exposed a little bit and having to kind of really come out there the next game and show show the rest of the world what they are and what they got is a good thing for them. So it will obviously be interesting to see how they respond. Um, you know, I'm assuming they'll, they'll, they'll bounce back in a big way when they need to, but yeah it's just kind of weird to see this on the uh, on the fixtures results and and all that stuff
0: yeah I mean look PSG'll be all right like it's a non story <laughs> but but interesting nonetheless to discuss um, before we head on over to our next topic we are going to take an ad break surprise first one ever on the state of play podcast hey guys before we move forward we wanted to remind you that the state of play podcast is sponsored by my bookie. As a true football fan, you probably already know, sure as the seasons change, Tom Brady will keep the Patriots in the game. Every weekend our favorite Gridiron Warriors put their skills to the test, so why aren't you doing the same? We're almost halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with My Bookie. My Bookie is the premier place to bet all your favorite pro and college football action every single weekend. They always have the most up to date lines and most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. Best part is if you join right now, my bookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in a thousand dollars, they'll give you a thousand dollars. That's double your initial deposit, and you can use it on all your favorite picks, games, and props. Just use promo code late fees to activate the offer. That's promo code late to double your cash. L A T E F E E S Late Fees and join my bookie today. All right, now moving on to the Bundesliga where there was some surprise news over the weekend. Nico Kovac is out at Bayern Munich. I like to call him evil Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He looks like if Joseph Gordon-Levitt was an evil guy in a Bond film. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's technically the bad guy for Bayern here, right? Um, look, everyone likes to highlight that dominant win that they had over at Spurs, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, in the Champions League. But the reality of it, and if you have been watching Bayern, and I know you do because your boy Lewandowski is just absolutely out of this world, they're struggling. They're not really up to their standards as a footballing club, and it's kind of been that way inconsistently over the recent years. Um, We saw the whole debacle that went down with Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, Pep Guardiola didn't really live up. To the hype you know they really got him to to lift the champions league trophy they didn't even make it to a champions league final with him um and now this niko kovac situation um i mean what do you what do you make of it are you shocked by this news um
1: yes and no i i think it it, it, i think it was inevitable that eventually at some point in time that niko kovac i don't think people expected him to be sacked maybe this early in the season because again, you know, they have been in a, in a, in a in terms of the least league table, they're in a good position overall. And they did have that big victory over at Tottenham Hotspur. And it's never easy to change a manager midway through a season or this early in the season when you still have the competitions at play. You know, it's that's one thing to where if a club, you know, in, in April knows they're not going to win the league or they're maybe not in, in contention for our domestic cup. And they're out of the, you know, Euro, European competitions to make that switch early to the manager that they want to go with. Uh, moving forward. But I think in you know, even you could even you know, go back to previous episodes what me and Petr did last year, where Kovac was on the hot seat last year and you know, he obviously kept his job. He's able to kind of steady the ship a bit, get some results and do what he's gotta to do to keep his job. But I think the leash the leash has always been short for Bayern Munich. They've always been one of the clubs with bigger clubs that's ready and willing to recognize and understand that if this is not working, let's mix make, like, make that change right now. Whereas instead of let's give that guy another five, ten games, and then before you know it, you're kind of in that position where uh you have fifteen games left, fourteen games left. What manager do, or can you really get right now that's gonna do the job for you? I think they're establishing that it's not it just it's it's not a fit. Number one, and I don't think this was even the 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 result. This was the straw that broke the camels back, but I don't think this was necessarily that one result where they made the decision they're like, alright, he's gone. This was just I'll get defeat. I think it was kind of something that was boiling over, and I think they needed to pick that right time to make the decision. And when you lose five one, I think it was five one to Frankfurt. um, Now you have there's 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 you could rationalize that. You can rationalize that to the wider to the wider football world and the media. It was time for us to make this switch. And you made a great point. They haven't been playing exactly smash mouth great football. Um, And Robert Lewandowski. I'm not trying to you know you know biased towards him but you know the guy has 20 goals in all competitions right now i mean he's head and shoulders the best striker in football right now based off form alone you could say what you want about his production in big games overall he's really carrying Bayern munich in a difficult spot and i think that could be something that maybe gives him a little bit of a boost in the Ballon d'Or uh r- race when once that kind of approaches um in the sense that you know, For all the, the talent that Bayern Munich has, it still comes down to Robert Lewandowski being able to produce at such a high level and be that talisman number nine um, and that elite talisman number nine that we've all come to know over the past handful of years. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that Kovac, I mean, obviously anytime a big team fires their manager after a loss, it's always going to be, wow, I can't believe they made that decision now. But I think if you ask any Bayern Munich fan or you ask any general football fan, were you surprised by this? I don't think so. I, I think they 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 did it with Carlo Ancelotti during the season a couple of seasons ago, right? They they were they're they're one of the few clubs, and we talked about it's funny that we talked about um, Manchester United and Arsenal, right? Kind of prolonging the inevitable in, in that you think that they and Embry are not going to last the rest of the season. Bayern Munich, we're looking at they like let's do it now. We have our this is our moment for us to do it off this defeat. We don't have to explain it to the fans any further why we're firing our manager right now. We just saw it right now that he's not going to be the right guy. This was the final step. And they made that move. Who they go with is another story. I know we had a question come in from one of our listeners, uh, Julia, about uh, you know who will replace Kovac. And I know some of the names that have come up. I saw serious XMFC counterattack, um, or the, the, the official Twitter account, shall I say. They did a poll as to who they thought would be um, the successor for Kovac. They mentioned Allegri. They mentioned Jose Mourinho. They mentioned Arsene Wenger or a caretaker. Um that's going to be fascinating because allegri is going to have options he could go he could probably go to the premier league if he like he may take it the rest of the sabbatical year to assess things and pick his pick his next destination but a team like Bayern munich will have that draw regardless um, we saw in previous years when they did fire uh, carlo ancelotti they brought hinky uh, back and he did a pretty good job for them i don't know if he's going to come back again it's like hey we need you again come back off the couch and <laughs> do what you do what you do best um I don't know. Maybe they get a reaction from the caretaker manager. He's able to finish the season. But that's not ideal for a big club like Bayern Munich, who still have a lot to play for this year. So it's going to be an interesting watch the rest of the way to see where they go. Of course, I'm sure we'll have uh, their situation sorted out maybe by the next podcast recording next week. But um, definitely something to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, if they do get a caretaker, I'd just like to get this out there now. It's a dark horse surprise. Uh, Hire, june, Mark Van Bommel. Interesting former
1: player Have there. Did you see Luca former Tony? Player? Luca Tony, like jokingly said, tweeted something <laughs> out. <laughs> I did yeah, he see was just that. Like, Only because the IFT, yeah, guys yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout yeah. out to them. It's pretty much like, hey I guys, remember. I'm ready to coach, you know, I'm ready, ready when you need me. <laughs> and look, I think Van Bommel, that's a, that's a really, really good uh, shout right there because Van Bommel has been always one of those guys that has always been destined for the managerial role at some point at some club. Um, mm-hmm. whether it's now, uh, that's another story. Maybe this moment would be too big for him, a, a guy who's, again, obviously knows the game extremely well from his playing days, but I think maybe he's best suited to go with a different role where uh, he's not having that immediate pressure to get the results that he needs. So um, that's interesting, though. I think you know, the fans would definitely love that, in my opinion. I don't know if that would be the best move, considering his experience or lack thereof uh, at coaching mm-hmm. at the top level, but um, that's you know that's something to keep an eye on
0: yeah. Um, something that we always keep a close eye on, and it's our bread and butter, Serie right? I mean, what a lovely, beautiful, disastrous masterpiece this league always is. <laughs> um, and it's highlighted again this weekend. We're not really going to get into a certain part of it. Um, but we're going to talk about the football clubs and specifically want to start out with really the biggest head-scratcher so far for me. And I think a lot of people, you would maybe agree, Napoli. Napoli is just, man, they are laboring. They are struggling this season. They lose again to Roma at uh, Stadio Olimpico. Uh, this was 2-1. to one. They had their chances to win this. Um, you know, Milik, Milik did score, but there were just other opportunities where he just had the chance to to finish it off. Uh, Merit made a fantastic save on a caller of uh, penalty. And then... I mean, Denny has a little little mess up in there as well. Um, again, it's, it's, it's really surprising because I think throughout European football, I don't know if it's just me, but it's something that I've kind of noticed that a lot of the top defenders or center backs from the past couple of years have been struggling. There's been a lot of players that have been struggling. I don't think Manolas has gotten off to a great start, kulabali hasn't been his old form that he was last year even virgil van dyke's not even up to his standards um matthias delict can't his his hands are magnets to the football it's absolutely absurd and i think it's the main issue um for napoli Aside from some of the finishing because uh, it, right now um they they need to get it together they have a massive match coming this week uh tomorrow actually in the Champions League, uh, when this episode will be released, it's right before the match. Um they have a lot to figure out, Carlo Ancelotti has a lot to figure out because this window that Napoli have to potentially win a major trophy isn't as big of
1: a window as we would have thought. No, not at all. And I think, you know, it really started with the Mudito Sari hire. Um, from there on, you know, that's this is they've been building this project up so much. To compete for a title, um, to possibly be the anti Juve, um, which it looks like Zoe is Inter's becoming that now. Um, after you know years of their themselves struggling, not believe there's too much talent in the squad, and I think there was a, a great point raised by one of the commentators on the ESPN broadcast um, over the weekend against Roma, is that you know they didn't lose any big superstar player that you know maybe you would you know you seem you would see uh, from from other clubs right that are thriving. We saw from Roma. For, for for several years now. Manolas, Sala, uh, they lose you know Alison, for instance, just to name a few. They've been able to keep this group intact for, for a handful of years now. I mean you have Zelensky, you have Alan, I know they sold Hamshik, but he's kinda of was in the twilight of his career anyway. Um and he knew he was gonna be eventually heading out into China and getting that big payday, chasing that bag. You know, shout out to him for doing that. He's more than you know, within his right to do that. He's given everything to Napoli but I think if you look top to, top to bottom, you look at this Napoli squad and you're like, they, they're built to win now. They got the keeper. Alex Merritt's a fantastic player. And if it wasn't for Donnarumma, Merritt would probably be the starter for the national team right now. You look defensively. You know, all those years where they had Koulibaly and Albiol, everyone was like, oh, they got to upgrade over Albiol. He's not good enough. Albiol was steady. He was a steady player. He was a veteran presence there. He works extremely well alongside Koulibaly. Um I think one of the biggest things, though, and you can maybe you know, make a strong case for this, and you can maybe you know give your your, your thoughts on this, Martino, has been the fullback positions. I know De Lorenzo mm-hmm. has been a pretty good signing from the, from Empoli. I'm not saying he isn't a good player. He's going to probably have an opportunity to uh, make the Euro squad, uh, provided Mancini gives him the opportunity to test test him and, and to see what he's capable of. But when they had when they were going right, their back line was very solid. They had Koulibaly, Albiol, centrally. They had Fauzi Gulam before that, that freak, uh, freak injury. And they had Haiza, who that, they were stacked. They were a very well-balanced defensive team. And the midfield was very solid. It's still very solid on paper, although it's not performing to its standard. But, you know, it's a culmination of things. The attackers are not finishing their chances when they need to. You know, for all the good that Milik is doing, you know, I think he has five goals in just last four games. You know guys like Mertens, guys like Insigne, they do such a great job at creating chances, Napoli. But they're just far too wasteful for a team that wants to compete for a title. And then you throw in the fact that they did get a guy like Manolas in the back, and they're regressing defensively. They're leaking in more goals. They're not looking as sharp as many would expect them to be. It's it's really a weird situa- situation. And I think Di Laurentiis, the owner, made a great point. Um, you know, uh, in his quotes after the, after the defeat to Roma. Uh, because there's been, I think, reportedly that there's they're going to be in a in a, a retiro, a retreat, where they're going to be uh, hiding, you know, sleeping at the facilities. They're going to try to build the you know build this thing back up and get back on track. But you know, he made a good point. He's like, you can't get up for just the games against Liverpool because they get up for the game against Liverpool. They look fantastic versus Liverpool. I mean, that's the, that's the way. For, that's the, the reigning champions of of Europe, right there. You can't just use those games, and we see that with so many other clubs um, across across Europe, is that you can't just use the big... Anyone could get motivated for those. Anyone should get motivated for those. But it's what separates a team like Napoli and maybe Juve and Inter is that, you know, yes, they maybe aren't as uh, efficient or clinical in matches against, you know, some of the the bottom-of-the-table clubs. By the end of the day, they get the job done. They're able to kind of, you know... You know, to fasten their to fasten their seatbelts, they're able to strap in, they're able to to get their their feet their, their feet wet, they get their hands dirty, and get the result they need in order to position themselves to chase their objectives and to win trophy, trophies. Excuse me, Napoli, this is their window. They got to make the most of it now. You got the manager that you wanted, Lash and Carlo Ancelotti. You got a good defender in Costas Manolas. I still think he could be a very good, very good player for them. But they're falling too deep in the table for them to be a title contender. And we know how much Juve tend to turn things into another whole other level once it comes to January, February of the season. They did it so many times under Allegri where everyone would hoot and holler, ah, this is uh, Juve. They're not playing sharp. They're not playing good football. They're barely squeaking by. We haven't seen the best of sorry ball at Juve. And that's the craziest thing, too, mm. is that I think Juve are going to be... They're going to be hitting another level very soon. And I think when, between them and Inter... And between how competitive it is for the top four, which I know we'll get into with some of the other clubs and how they fared over the weekend, Napoli's got to gotta turn this around quickly. Otherwise, it can be one of those seasons where they find themselves maybe at of top four, which would be stunning, to say the least, considering the squad depth they have and the quality and their expectations everyone has bestowed upon them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's very feasible considering, if you look at Atalanta, if they finish fourth in their Champions League group, that's really possible. And... And what we are even the Look at Roma though.
1: Roma, they're in. Thir- it, that's Roma where I was just third place That's right where now. I was sitting next. Roma are in third place yeah. right now, and they have they, they're, and, then, and they're injured. Yeah. They're they're depleted with injuries, right?
0: And that and that's where I was going with my next point. Roma has been. A surprise. I was one of the main people. Um, I don't know how many others. I didn't think this team would make it to the Champions League spot simply because I thought their defense was completely suspect. And Chris Smalling has been... I, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know if there's a comparison for, for it. He is the most shockingly, stunningly best transfer so far. Around. Like, this is, this is a steal considering all the outcasts that that Manchester United thought like these were just deadweight players that we just need to get rid of let's get let's get rid of these guys we we got Harry Maguire coming in here and Chris Smalling arguably I think outside of Bonucci or any of the Inter center backs has been the best defender in Serie A he's been that good and then on top of that you could argue he's been one of the top 10 center backs in in all of European football i mean that's how good he's been That's how good Roma has been as well. I mean, I I think they've struggled a bit. I know they had an unfortunate call against them in the Europa League,
1: but this team right now, this they they got a lot of momentum going. I think for I think Um, Roma, you know, mm -hmm. Paulo Fonseca, that was one of those hires that you look at, you know, in the summer and you're like, we know this guy's a good manager because he's he did some really exceptional things with Shakhtar, you know, in, in building that project to be. Such a, a very solid squad, a team that can produce, a team that can do some things in the Champions League, like they have done. When they, when Fonseca got that, when was appointed as as Roma boss, I was very impressed with that hire. I thought that this is a solid manager. He's going to be progressive. He's going to be playing an a, attacking style that Roma fans will like. That they'll be pleased with. But you're, it's not even. There's so much the style of play, right? Because I've seen glimpses of what they're, able, they're capable of doing and playing fast-paced that quick-action football and, and having it yield results and get good, solid you know, offensive production and goals. But when you have injuries, you can tell a lot about a squad and how uh, together they are, how unified they are, how much they really are in sync with their manager and his mindset, his philosophies, and his ways of coaching, right? I think we saw that in some may, some ways on a different scale with Gatuso last year. Is that you can you can tell you can it tells you can tell a lot about a team and where they're at mentally when they're able to overcome adversity, overcome injuries, and still get results when they're otherwise expected not to. And this is a perfect example of that. I think if Roma came into this match and they lost, I I think Roma fans or and, and Serie A fans in general would have been, you know what, their injury depleted. Roma's a a, Napoli's a very good very good team. They were gonna come motivated to win this game. I, I can't knock Roma for not getting a victory here. You know, they're still in a good position, this, that, what have you. But for all the injuries they have to Pellegrini, to to several other players in the squad, and they're playing extremely... They lost Spinazzola for a stretch, Spinazzola too. as well. And, you know, it's not only just, you know, the injuries, too, but... Fonseca's done a great job in, in in reinventing some players and getting them to be the players that we saw of the past, right? You mentioned Smalling. That's a, a fantastic shout. Smalling's been uh, a, a great find for Roma. And he was an afterthought, obviously, at, at Manchester United, and he was pretty much laughed at at the door um, of Old Trafford and to the Stadio Olimpico, right? But that's looking like mm-hmm. a, a fantastic piece of business and one of the best pieces of business in football right now.
0: United is looking to make double of what they originally had. They originally wanted ten million, and now they want twenty. Like, wait a
1: second! (laughs) This guy's actually playing really well. We're going to try to ask for more. (laughs) That's the funny. That's that's the wild thing. But I also Uh. want to point out the fact that Javier Pastori's been very good. He came under a lot of criticism Mm -hmm. last year um, under Ucida De Francesco because everyone was kind of scratching their head about this acquisition. They're like, we know he has Serie A experience from the past with Palermo, but why did he? Why was he brought in? Now you're starting to see why Fonseca is able to not only get uh, more from players that otherwise wasn't weren't expected to be top producers for them so early on in the season, but as a unit, there's there seems to be something about this squad that, as a Roma fan, you just can't help but be pleased with and 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 uh, excited about because you know that around the corner when they are healthy, they do have the Pellegrini's of the world. They do have a lot of these guys back in full fitness. That. It's it's it it makes you wonder how far could this team go? I'm not saying they're going to win a title. I'm not saying they're going to be you know uh, competing with U of A and Inter for the title this year. I'm not saying that, but I think it's a fascinating thing to watch to see what type of level this team can go to when they are healthy, when they are clicking on all cylinders, and they are um, in a position where they're very very much comfortable with their manager and what he's able to do.
0: Yeah, and also another shout out to Nicolas Agnolo. The 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 level that he has raised his game the past year. So it's a little bit different with the way Moise Kane because these two were looked at the face and the future of the Atsuri and Sanyolo has has been consistent and raised his game to another level. Maybe it's just Kane struggling, uh, you know, trying to get better uh, in a new league. But shout out to him. Great job. Hope he keeps it going. Uh to wrap it up in Serie A We had a big-time upset, and this is its squad. Um, I know we touched on it on Soccer Showdown. We really liked the market that they had um, this past summer, and that's Cagliari um, reinvesting that Nicolo Barrella money. Um, Going to Atalanta and winning? Not even getting points. They won this game. I mean, come on. This was fantastic by them,
1: right? This is such a great result. This is a very, very good result for them. Um, I don't think... It's, it's surprising to see Cagliari play well um, this early on in the season because I think if you look at their squad, the way they were able to approach the market, the sale they made, obviously, of Nicola Barella, a cornerstone piece of their project to enter. But I think you could tell also a lot about where team is and what type of play, uh, individuals they have um, uh, in management, in, 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 in the office area, front office area, um, in that, you know, yes those teams know they're going to be rated of their top players and we see with atalanta for instance all these years you can have a, a a competent solid sporting director with a great eye for talent can be just as valuable as any good signing you make and i think that's what we're really starting to see with cagliari right they sell nicola barella they're able to get Guys like Marco Raj, they're able to get Raja Nyenglen back, a player that, you know, obviously has such a connection and such an attachment to uh, to the Sardinian people. Then you throw in Nandez, who was a, a great uh, talent that they brought over from, uh, I believe, Boca Juniors. They're playing at a level, they're definitely punching above their weight. I don't think anyone expected them to be in fourth place like they are now. Maybe their position is more an indi- indication or indicative of the shortcomings of other squads, other squads like Roma, like Lazio, Milan, uh, Napoli, for instance, and how they've kind of, you know, fallen off a little bit, or they're not really meeting early on, early season expectations, excuse me. But nonetheless, a team like Cagliari, you can look at their squad and say, okay, they got some players here. I think they were always going to be one of those teams to keep an eye on. They're very intriguing to watch on a week-to-week basis, and they definitely weren't a team that... that you, you knew we were, were expected to roll over, right? And you know, in previous years, you look at Cagliari and you're like, ah, this team, you know, they got a couple players here and there and that could beat you, but they're a team that, you know, you should be able to kind of maneuver and get through with a result, no problem. Now you're looking at them in the table and you can see they're a very exciting project. They have players in all areas of the pitch, they have a good blend, a mixture of veterans and young players, players with promise. And I think it's a testament to the job that Rolando Maran's done since being appointed Cagliari manager i mean he was the coach of Kievo Verona a couple seasons ago he was sacked before the end of the season then he took that job at Cagliari he's been able to kind of build something special for himself and for the for the city and for the fans and now you look at Kievo and Kievo in Serie B so maybe Maran wasn't the problem with Kievo maybe Kievo were the problem and you're starting to see you know when you get a, a manager that the players back you get a, a sporting director and you get a, a, a group of individuals who are making the decisions on a week to week basis, how they know what vision they have, they have a vision for the squad, and they know how to implement that vision and to put that vision in, into 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 life. And I think that's where we're really starting to see with Cagliari, a team that you know, look for all the negative, you know, uh, uh, controversy and all the all the the, the the things going on with the you know some of their fans and you know the racial racial things against Lukaku and this and that, what have you um the, the players aren't racist the players aren't the ones that should be criticized and and, and you know, lambasted for for the the of a bunch of idiots and cowards in the stands cagliari they're building a team that's it's impressive it's impressive to watch it's nice to see a a, a different team come to life and and kind of stare some of these bigger clubs in the face and say we're not going to lay down and we're not going to be a team that you roll through and you know, again, getting a victory, uh, an early one for me. I woke up and I saw. I think there were like a six or seven a.m. start here in the states and the, on the East Coast. And I'm like, I'm, it's funny too because me and my uh, me and my buddy were, were big soccer fans. He's a Liverpool fan, and he was looking at me and looking at uh, you know some of these results um, or some of these fixtures coming up on the weekend when we were hanging out. And he was like, Matt, what do you think of? Uh, I was looking at this Atalanta Cagliari game. Do you think I should roll with this? And I was like, Well, look, Cagliari—they're a team that's overachieving. They're playing well. Um, Atalanta at home are very tough to beat. Um, they're a team that's very formidable they they really do a good job of uh of defending attacking, getting goals, and just taking advantage of their home field advantage um which they do so well. but I was like, you know what there's something there so and it turns out I woke up and I texted him I was like, hey, two zero victory for Cagliari. and he was obviously one and then obviously you know um you know that was a kind of a good uh, beginning to uh, what was a very eventful and very upset a driven Sunday, uh, Sunday uh, slew of a uh, fixture. So yeah, b- big shout out to Calgary, what they're doing. I think they're building a project that you can kind of get behind and something to keep an eye on, something to monitor the rest of the way and see if they are able to um, maybe make a Europa League spot happen. Um, that's something to, you know, uh, see and something that kind of, you get, get behind or get interested in if you're not a Serie A fan, because there's going to be uh, quite a few teams in, in play for those uh, Europa League spots as well.
0: Yeah. I think it's definitely something to keep an eye out. Uh, You know, Atalanta light, potentially, for this season. We'll see how they do, though. Lots of games left there. Um, Speaking of lots of games left, not many left in the MLS. One game to decide it all. Toronto versus Seattle, third time. But before that, we have to pay our respects to one of the greatest footballers to ever play for joining the MLS for. I don't know. It wasn't that long, but it felt like an eternity. He came in, he did what he had to do and he and left.
1: Or, so supposedly he's gonna leave. Well, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> um, he's gone. Based off his comments. You know, yeah, and
0: uh, I guess you can guess by who we're talking about, Slaton. Slaton was easily the most iconic player since David Beckham to come through the MLS, right? There let's not get it twisted. All of his press conferences, he was going on late night TV, outshining Carlos Vela at certain moments. Um yeah, I mean he was just he was just absolutely fantastic. I loved every single minute that he was here in the MLS. I'm really happy that a lot of my friends who don't watch football and European football got a chance to just see what he was like a little bit even if it's nowhere near his prime because it wasn't but just the talent the pure talent that he has and the personality and and I thought it was very cool to at least have him come over here and play even though it wasn't a long time
1: 100 percent, you know I think you know it's just it's it's proof right that he's one of those, one of those few players. He's he's like kind of an alien, if you will, in the sense that you know with the injury that he had, that freak injury he had uh, towards the tail end of his Manchester United career. Everyone thought that were going to see a downturn or a spiral, uh, spiral down a downward spiral, excuse me, uh, of production of uh, his games and, and his ability to just appear and be on the pitch and play at a high level. Um, that hasn't been the case. He's been uh, he's kind of had a second wind here. He's scoring goals in, the, in, in Major League Soccer, um, and he's making it look very easy. He, him, and to see with him and uh, Carlos Vela, the uh, Major League Soccer MVP, were able to kind of go back and forth with. It created a really great rivalry to watch on the West Coast. Um, Vela, 34 goals, 15 assists, uh, definitely deserving of the MVP award. But in any other season, Zlatan would have 100 would have you know taken home the award, and I think it would have been just one of many for him to uh, kind of stack the, the the trophy cabinet with. But um, yeah, I think the MLS season uh, has been very exciting. There's some you know, definitely some great things happening. A lot of great players coming through um, that to keep an eye on. But the uh, yeah, the 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 MLS Cup final. Of course, we have another rematch. It's uh, it's almost like a uh, you know uh, it's pretty much Toronto and Seattle saying run it back. Like let's let's do this again. Uh, or you know the same time tomorrow sort of thing. And they're going to be for the I think the third time in, I think four years if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. So um, it seems as though that you know regardless of how good some of these teams are able to do throughout the regular season if toronto and seattle just managed to get into the playoffs you gotta really take them seriously as a team because they know how to get and to get through that the, the playoff structure the playoff format they know what it takes to get to the final and yet here we are right i know there's no sebastian jovinko uh seattle
0: outclassed right now, lafc by the way i don't know like it did. wasn't and even close
1: it's, it's, yeah Seattle Seattle put up a performance. I was watching that game. Seattle Sounders put up a performance that was one of those performances where you're like it's 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 one of those cases where you're like they've been here before. They've done this before. They 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 got the experience. It's this hasn't been their first rodeo. And I think you look, you play this game maybe three or four other times. There's a good chance that LAFC gets the better of them. But I think there's just something about, and if people tell people will say, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, on paper they play the game, play the paper game. This team's, uh, you know, it has the upper hand, mm-hmm. and you know, we look, we do that so many times in, 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 in various different sports, right? But there's something about being clutch. There's something about you know, uh, staring staring your opponent in the eye, in the eyes, and, and, and amidst the pressure, and being able to perform at such a high level, and ultimately. Use your experience to your advantage. And I think Seattle are one of the, uh, they're a true testament to that. And they're one of the few clubs in uh, Major League Soccer, like Toronto, for instance, that, you know, regardless of the players that they're up against, they always seem to be a threat. They always seem to be a club that you really just can't take lightly and, and, and you have to respect their tradition, respect their their history in this tournament. Um, and their ability to get to the Cup Final, the promised land, and, and maybe even win another one. So um, I'm definitely excited for the Cup Final myself. Um, again, I know we're Serie A fans. We're time Italian as well. So the fact that there's no Sebastian Giovinco in this one, I think that would, it's, would have been really, really exciting to watch him go to another another Cup Final. But I think regardless, uh, Toronto and Seattle is going to be um, – it's kind of the best two out of three, right? I think it's a good way to wrap up this uh, trilogy uh, of Cup Final appearances between them two, and uh, I'm very excited for that. Yeah
0: um congratulations to those two teams again i mean look that's just a model of winning and they've certainly figured out the formula so moving on to your questions um we've really touched upon the two with Cavalieri uh flirting with uh top four in Serie. um we've talked about uh, the Bayern situation um thank you guys for those questions but we'll get into one i I think it's important to kind of touch upon this really quick before we go to the player profile uh what needs to change in italian football specifically and do you think racism in stadium can be rooted out without the involvement of seria this is from at underscore 10 um obviously this refers to the mario balotelli situation over the weekend i mean (sighs) I am so beaten down and tired on this topic, and you and I have discussed this at length so many different times on Mm -hmm. different platforms, you know, podcasts, and... I mean, look, I mean, what else can you say? It's either zero tolerance, you kick all these fans out, you have zero fans allowed for the rest of the season, you penalize the club, which is unfortunate for the players who have no part in this and don't represent the fans. You know, they're just trying to go out there and, you know, give it their all and try and pick up points and play football. But you have these really unfortunate situations where Mario walked off the pitch and, I mean... Like, what, what can you say? My heart breaks for him. I am a big Balotelli supporter,
1: and I know he's a knucklehead at times, but, I mean, I, I... It breaks for any player that has to deal with this in not only Serie A, but, you know, in, in uh, every, you know, league across the world uh, of football, and just the people in general who have to deal with this on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, in 2019, I, I hate that we're having to talk about this at length. I feel like we're doing this every other episode. Um... But I think you know it's important that we continue to shed light on it. We continue to bring awareness to it. We continue to at least talk about it, um, and, and try to um, you know find ways or find you know solutions or bring up solutions and ideas for how um, this these cowardly acts can be combated, prevented, and ultimately eradicated from the game that we love so much and we follow on a regular basis. I you know getting back to the question here, what needs changing in Italian football? I think it's a culture thing, and I think I'm not trying to. You know, excuse the behavior of anybody because we everyone knows it's 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 ignorance, it's it's cowardly acts and the coward acts of uh uh you know people who just should not be involved with this sport. Um, and they just I I hate talking about it, but I think look the the, the it starts with the acknowledgement when you have to acknowledge there's a problem, right? These some of these the fact that you have some owners. Like Rocco Camiso, uh, for instance, who brought up the whole subject of racism. Um, And there was something involving, I think, Fiorentina as well. I think if I'm correct, Martino, I I don't have the exact details, but I think there was something that came up um, recently with uh, with Fiorentina fans. Um, It was Roma Ultras this
0: past weekend making territorial chants, which is... Um, the right. the referees treat it as an act of racism. Um, it's discriminatory against people and where they're from. I mean, look, I, and that happens often to Napoli too. Um, you could ask Napoli fans all the time if you've seen. We see it the, on Twitter. We, um, we, we I see yeah. it on Twitter mm-hmm. all the time.
1: There was a video that circulated uh, about Vesuvius and uh, Mount Vesuvius, and look, it, mm-hmm. it's 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 disgusting. Everyone knows it's disgusting. Everyone knows it has no place in in, in, in today's society. Um, but I think the, the biggest and most disheartening thing to see is the deflection, the denial that it actually exists from you know the Verona manager, from the Verona president, from um, even the comments from the, some of the leader of the Verona ultras, right. There's a there's, they're not even acknowledging that the fact that it existed. They're quick to they're quicker to acknowledge that it doesn't exist. That which makes it that much more of a Verona a, a, was an also issue.
0: claiming all the videos and proof of Monkey Chance Balotelli kicking the ball into the stands to just sweep it under the rug like it didn't happen,
1: too. Right, and look, uh, we saw the videos that Balotelli posted. We we seen the videos that circulated um, on Twitter before they were copyright claimed. We know, we, we see this, we're not, we're, we're not oblivious to this. And I think, you know, in many ways, you know, imagine, it, it makes you wonder and it makes you, you know, just kind of reflect on the fact that what if there was no social media to actually bring these problems to light, for people to have a platform to speak on it, to, to you know. You know, pester these 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 accounts, these these uh, you know, the, the club accounts that have their fans at fault for some of the the, the behavior that they they right, they cause in the stadium. That's, I guess, a silver lining. But again, it's a, this is such a complex issue, and it's something that's very difficult for me to answer because you know, it's it's easy for me, for everyone to say, well, you know, they gotta just you know, they gotta have people you know policing the stands and being do you think that they're not thinking about that? I think there are, there are, you know, clubs that, that would like to do that, but there's so many walls and boundaries and barriers separating them and, and, and tying football from having real change from making a real difference on this matter. And I think that's ultimately, it comes down to the owners. It comes down to those uh, with the league, the, the the higher ups to, to make the, the necessary measures to, 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 put things in motion to prevent these things from happening. Look, at the end of the day, you're going to have it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in different leagues. We see it all across football. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you have a select group of people who are, are ignorant. They're, they're again, cowards. And it's not something that you can't paint. You can't paint, paint a broad brush over an entire fan base for that, right? There are Verona fans who are good fans. There's There's kids there. Who want to just watch their team play. And for us to say, well, it's Verona fans as a collective who are racist. That's also not the best way to go about Mm -hmm. it. Right? So... It's 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 it, 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 it's 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 very complex to answer this. I appreciate Fariño underscore ten for for supplying this question because I think you know even if we're not bringing you know, the the best answer here on my end, I apologize for that. Um, it's just something that's difficult to talk about. It's difficult for me to you know, kind of respond with without having a more um, uh, in depth knowledge. I'm not for me. I'm not in that zone of the world. I'm not you know on the ground in those stadiums. I'm sure you can probably get. You know many play people who cover the games extensively, who can you know, attest to this and speak on more of it than I can. Which I'm hoping that's something that we can maybe bring on in in, in future episodes. But I just think it really starts up with those the the owners, the people who have a, 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 the biggest voice um, in making change in eradicating this problem. I don't think it's going to be an over overnight, overnight thing, right? But I think the fact that Balotelli was was close to stepping off the field, and he had to come back on. I think. We're getting to that point where eventually... Eventually... You're going to have an entire team walk off the field. The game was suspended. The game was suspended. Mm-hmm. And, and then it resumed. Barlote scored a fantastic goal. Um, just moments afterwards. But... Th- there's got to be real change here. And I- I'm, I'm I'm just begging... The, the league to do something about this. Because... We can't keep talking about this on a weekly basis. It just it's taking away from such a beautiful game a beautiful uh you know uh, tradition that 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 many italians you know love and in calcio and we want to be talking about the action guys we don't want to be talking about the racism and the territorial discrimination that we see on a a, feels like a weekly basis it's just very frustrating and i I hope that we have some change very soon but unfortunately i'm just i just don't have any optimism and trust in the higher ups to make anything you know concrete happen on this on this uh, problem
0: yeah i i eventually think is gonna have to step in eventually or they have to and, they and have there's, to there's nothing else left to yeah. say really and that's that's the brunt of it the, that's the gist i mean that yeah. that's that um so now time for something more fun the best part of the episodes the player profile Okay, this week we're going to be talking about Hamed Junior Torreore. He is a Sassuolo player, on loan from Empoli, a two-year loan. He was a part of that very talented Empoli midfield that unfortunately got relegated last year with Ismail Benacer and Rade Grunic. Um, lots of potential with him, um, playing pretty well so far with Sassuolo. Matt, what have you seen? What can you tell us about him?
1: troyoris he's, he's a fascinating player um I, you know just a little tease at a uh, at a uh, article or profile I'm going to be doing on him that's going to be launching in the next sky of football handbook which I'm sure you guys will definitely want to get your hands on. Um, but you know, in short, I'll, I'll give you kind of a more or less a, a a brief overview of what he is, who he is as a player, what he brings to the field, um, and ultimately what kind of his future could project. Um, he came, he's coming up quickly, he, and he's risen quickly to the to through the ranks of. Uh, he was at Empoli. He had a, a very solid season last year, as you alluded to, um, in a very packed midfield with guys like Ismail Benacer and Rod Krunic. and you know, Triori was one of those players that. You know, it looked as though he was going to Fiorentina. There was a deal. There was an agreement in place uh, last January um, for him to move in the summer. That never materialized or never was concrete. Um, obviously, he now he's at Sassuolo on a two-year loan, as you just mentioned, with an option to buy. Which, given his age, given his upside, he's only nineteen years old. The Ivorian international. Um, there's definitely uh, a lot of potential in there. There's a lot of untapped potential for Roberto De Gerbi to uh, use and, and utilize this season um, in a season in which you know Sassuolo haven't gotten off to the greatest of starts. But there's some t- midfield talent that they have as well, and I think Triori is um, he's, he's going to be one of those players that you want to keep an eye on throughout the entire season because. I think when you look at the Cherby's track record in growing certain players and younger players, I think he's done a, fan, a fantastic job overall. And I think Trier could be one of the main beneficiaries in having a manager like the Cherby um, at the helm. In terms of his style of play, I think you can really look at his ability to press, to force mistakes, force opposition into errors, and win the ball high up the pitch. She's a player that can play in several different midfield roles although um, he's predominantly played as either a traditional central midfielder this year or even in behind the strikers um, versus Wolo, There are ha- there are characteristics or traits of, in his game that maybe lead you to believe that he can play a more defensive role because he is such a good tackler, um, but he's also a very good dribbler. On the ball, he's very good, and I think there's a lot of room for growth in that. But the biggest areas for, of concern or uh, areas from which he needs to mature in is finding that end product for all the good that he does in progressing and, and being able to break lines. Um, his passing leaves a little bit to be desired. He's not as efficient and as sharp in that area of his game, which he needs to be if you're going to be an effective top midfielder. I'm not saying he needs to be a player that can spray the ball on like Prime Pirlo, but I think he needs to pass at a more efficient rate than what he is. He's... Um, An individual where he does a lot of the the hard stuff and he makes it look easy. But once he gets into the final third, his decision-making with that final ball or that final shot, um, it's kind of missing. It's lacking. Overall, if you're looking at a player like this, I think you can't be too hard on him because he he is 19. He's really only had about a season and a half, not even two seasons uh, in the top flight. But the fact that at 19 years old, he's playing in the higher um, brackets for the national team for Ivory Coast... He's getting uh, a good amount of minutes at Sassuolo. Uh, I think he's uh, going to be one of those players that won't have any issues getting minutes, but he's going to be an individual that maybe you know will be occasionally on the bench because the Jerby does like to rotate his midfielders quite a bit. So you will find him maybe kind of uh, missing in certain games or maybe not getting the action that you'd expect from a player with this much talent and ability. With all this being said... He's one to keep an eye on. He's one I did cover, as I mentioned, in the upcoming Sky to Football Handbook, the, the fourth edition of a, uh, their quarterly mag. So definitely keep an eye on him. He was linked, even before he did go to Sassuolo, with possibly going to Juve. Although, if he went to Juve, they probably would have yep. looked into Sassuolo anyway <laughs> because they have some sort of uh, synergy. They have that relationship. Although, you know, I know the co-partnership, um, that formula, that that model is is has been... Juve found a loophole. Um, and it, eh. <laughs> There was, well, not, well, the thing is, there are certain clubs that just do business with, each, with yeah. one another. So you're not going to really be able to kind of, you know, uh, get around that. It's pretty much it's pretty much saying, hey, we're, there's not a co-ownership. But mm-hmm. they're, yeah, there pretty much is a co-ownership, yeah, right? So there's going to be teams that do regular business with one another. Milan Genoa was one when Galliani and Berlusconi were in charge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but getting back onto to kind of wrap them up. Um, a player with promise, a player with potential, but he's not the finished product by any means right now. But I think that's something that's very exciting to watch on a weekly basis, right? You kind of want to say... Well, okay, I could see where he can. I could see what he can is capable of doing as a ball carrier, progressor, um, and what he's able to bring to the defensive side of the game. But can he can he kind of uh, materialize and, and and round out his 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 craft and and, and become a more refined player um, as he goes into his early twenties? You know, with the expectations we place on some of these young players nowadays it's so unfair that. I'm happy in a way that he didn't go to Juve because if he went to Juve and he wasn't playing, mm. everyone said, "Well, this guy's not playing. Is he really that good?" And this and that, what have you. In Many ways you could talk about some of the similar things with Stefano Sensi, right? Because Sensi was at Cesena, he had some, uh, as well as San Marino. That's where he kind of got his his notoriety and his his recognition for being a, a nice up and come up up and coming talent. Excuse me. But then he kind of got a little bit lost in the shuffle, right? When he went to Sassuolo, he was kind of splitting splitting duty um, as that deeper player with Manuel Locatelli. But over the past couple of years, he's been able to kind of grow and not have that pressure behind him to be a top, top player right away. You're starting to see what, again, of course, he's been injured recently for, for Inter. But I just want to just allude to the fact that, you know, Sassuolo is one of those environments that is suitable for uh, youth to grow and to grow at a, a nice um, healthy way, where they're not being fast tracked into a position where this guy's the next superstar midfielder and he's getting you know a, a, all this interest. I think triori's in a position where he can grow at his own pace, a pace that's very healthy and that's suitable for his game and then in a couple of years, if you know that opportunity arises if he's able to keep his head down and kind of trudge forward and be the player that we know he can be. I think those opportunities will come for him to move to a bigger club, similar to what Sensi was able to do. But overall, a player to, to to watch the rest of the season, and I'm sure we won't be ta- we won't be uh, this won't be the last we're talking about. Yeah,
0: I think that's definitely uh, someone you could uh, look out for, and look out for Matt's um, profile on him as well when that comes out. Um... Well, that'll do it for this episode. Um, you guys can always email us at stateofplaypod at com for sponsorship and our collaboration. Um, you can follow the Twitter account at stateofplaypod. As for us, you could follow me on Twitter at martinopuccio. Matt, if you just want to give
1: everybody where you could find them, go ahead. You got it. At Matt underscore Santangelo. Thank you guys for the support. I really appreciate it. And like I say, at the end of every podcast, over the next month or so, you guys will see some... Uh, some different podcast appearances which I'm very excited about so there'll be some crossover there um definitely check out uh what I'm doing of course which I always share with uh my my, my Twitter followers who have been so faithful to me over the years so thank you so much guys and yeah I uh, once again thanks Martino for uh you know picking up for Petrit and um keeping this thing going because 23 episodes I'm very happy with the uh progression we're making after the restart and um we we thank you guys for for supporting that yeah
0: Okay, couldn't have said it any better. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Please like, rate, subscribe, anything you can to help us out. It's much appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.